Welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 272. Guys, we are just over a quarter of closer a to 300. I didn't know how to say what? that. Greg, you're the three worst. Qu- we, are, we are 20. We're almost three episodes away. 28 episodes away from 300. You so know what? I'm just going to introduce myself. My name's Andy No, no, Steiger. don't. That's my one job. I'm glad to be here. Join, don't, Andy. <laughs> joining me around the table. Andy. Pastor Andy Steiger. Hey, guys. Good to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Pastor Paul Siemens. What's up? Pastor those commercials. Jeff Bucknam. Hi, Greg. Hi. We also, today we have a producer in the booth who has the capability of speaking to us, but not to you. His name's Brian Schmuland. If you've been at Northview for a while, you have probably heard a fair share of Brian Schmuland jokes in either the pulpit or the podcast. The one and only V. Schmoo. We love that guy. Producing for us this morning. You know what? Little, little all, known yeah, fact about mm-hmm. Schmuland. Uh, he was in my young adult program back in the day when I was at Emmanuel Fellowship Baptist Church. Oh. Oh, that's right. He was. His family's from there. That's right. And he was single there, and you're trying to fix I, that problem. I did the best I could, Not and then I passed problem, him on to Northview. Then he went to France. And he did. Struck out there. He looked. Yeah. He looked for a. Uh, <laughs> he looked for a lady in France. <laughs> He's starting to sweat in the booth. He's like, "Can and you guys didn't move work? on?" Is there AC in the booth there, Bishmu? <laughs> <laughs> it's getting a little warm. It's a little red. On He's got place. a great wife, and he is also the boss of her. the robot takeover. Yes. If you remember so the if robot, you have wrath towards the robot takeover, Bishmulin, direct it to Brian at northview.org. <laughs> if you have questions you want the extra podcast team to talk about, you can email extra at northview.org. We have a few. Hey, before uh, we do, Greg. Yeah, sure. Can whatever. I just ask, uh, did anything happen in this last week in the lives of you gentlemen that was really uh, exciting? Something we need to know about? I'm only asking because I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of interested. And it's not le- it's not a leading question. You look you're all looking at me like right now. Yeah, what like, I don't know what, what are you going to say? Talking the answer. About? Is there anything that happened that you were excited about? You should build it. Andy, did you build another treehouse for your children? No, I wish I could though. <laughs> These stagger hands want to break things and build things. But currently, I'm uh, preparing to head to Scotland. I'm working on my PhD, so I have been busy with uh, uh, literary review. So, will you be uh, partaking of haggis? You better believe it. Uh, Steiger the Tiger likes to enjoy exotic things that are... Have you ever had haggis? No. No, it sounds disgusting, and I'll probably retch, but that's part of the joy, Jeff. Well, what's crazy about haggis is that it's not the kind of thing that you would think... It's made out of sheep stomach, right? Yeah. It's not the kind of thing that you would think to yourself, you know, this is a good food idea. (laughs) Here's the part of the sheep that we haven't been using. We should use it. You know, let's sh- let's shove a bunch of the other parts of the sheep into the stomach of the sheep, and then I don't know, eat it with some oatmeal. Do they cook it? They I was boil haggis. No. I was thinking I should watch Braveheart before I go. No, though. These are the same just people who came up with golf. The so. Scottish mood. Apparently, it's going to rain and be cold the whole time and fairly miserable. Really? Yeah. It's good. Isn't in that Scotland. Wonderful? <laughs> Welcome. Are you going to golf while you're there? I don't golf. Uh, you're not even going to go to like St Andrews or not a chance Royal Troon or. I am going to go to Loch Ness, though. Are you? I'm going to look for the monster. Okay. Andy, can you send back some pictures? We will post them on Instagram. Don't you think that our podcast should start an Instagram? Absolutely. I think that would be fun. I think we'd have terrible photos. Yeah, but we could take pictures of you with your headphones on, be schmoo, 
Stuff Bish, like that. in the booth. I love it. That sounds like a band name. I think that's a great thing that you're going to be doing, going to uh, to Scotland for your PhD work in Aberdeen. Aberdeen University. What's your uh, focus for your PhD? It's interdisciplinary between philosophy and theology. And my main focus is looking at a guy by the name of Michael Polanyi, who was a scientist that was concerned uh, post-World War II with the direction that the culture was heading and went into philosophy to address it. And he had very interesting ideas that philosophical ideas that had theological implications. So my doctorate is to tease out the theological implications, particularly as they deal with persons. Mm. So what does, as in a, as a Christian, what do we mean when we talk about a person? It's about zombies. <laughs> that was my real, no, my next question. No, it is. It's How it's much are zombies? zombies? Yeah, it's actually. That was the long answer. <laughs> the short answer is it's about zombies. Guilty as charged. So looking forward to it. Anyway, that's, that's exciting. I, I'm excited for you, Andy. Thanks, that's man. great. Uh, we'll we'll be back here holding down the fort, making sure that uh, <laughs> that there's a place for you to return to with a gut full of haggis. <laughs> I will eat haggis and I will come back and I'll tell you what it tasted okay. like. All right, it, I look like, forward to that. Tastes like haggis. Mm. Jeff, did, any, did anything big happen in your life? I feel like no. You wanted to talk about something? No, I just nope. Not just showing biggest th- happened in my life. Are you really just showing interest in us? Yeah, it's kind of a wow. new leaf kind of thing. Yeah, I know. That's why we're all wow. like, what's what's the end game here, wow. man? Yeah, none. Paul Paul doesn't have a beard anymore, and I do. Mm. It's causing a lot of confusion at the I don't office. Know. I don't know how long I'm going to keep it because yep. my wife does not like it. Yeah, as again. That's the problem with facial hair. Most women don't like it. But she's getting used to it, so... Paul, Paul, you know what? We should ask mm. Paul. We should get your wife here at some point, mm-hmm. Paul, and find out whether or not she's uh, she's a big fan of the beard. She well, I'll call Carla right now. She actually said when I shaved it off, she was she kept looking at me like quizzically, like hmm, and and I was like, don't you like it? Well, she's like, I'm not sure. I'm like, oh great, so you, now you don't. Like is that, is that what you say when she, when she comes out wearing that new dress? Is that what you say? Is that how right. you say it to her? She said, do you like it? Mm, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know. So, but now, but now, yes, she's coming around. Uh, yeah, as long as I keep on it every day. If it gets that short, like today, I didn't shave today. But if it gets this kind of five o'clock shadow kind of thing, like hips, then, cool then no, beard. then she's like, no, you got to no. get no, either grow it or shave it. Yeah, wow. So that's no so, middle. I don't know what that says to you, old Greg. That is an ultimatum if I've ever heard. Well, one. you kind of have you. You've been growing your beard for a little while now. This is two weeks. I'm two, two weeks, weeks in. And it still still looks like a scraggly 16-year-old. No, it does not. Do you feel uh, older, Greg? No. Hmm. No. No. Just because you could grow this length in a day. Yeah. By 2 o'clock this afternoon, I'm going to... I would love to surpass see me. Jeff with a beard. Totally. You do know that if I grew a beard, the reason I, I have grown a beard in the past, but I don't, don't do it because it... There is a connected piece of hair all the way down I my entire see. body, from my toes all the way to my face. You've got some jungle trying to get out of that shirt. There is no, yeah. there's no break of hair. <laughs> You'd have to just pick a line, yeah, and be like, and here the beard ends. Yeah, it doesn't end. Though. Do you have back hair, Jeff? Right. So let's get to the questions. <laughs> By the way, we we should do a fundraiser where every day that Jeff doesn't shave, like. More money in the pot. Yeah. Something happens. Yeah. yeah. We should you, do that. For the Lord. When you're in Scotland, think that through. I'm going to. I'm going to work Come back that. with your Haggis story and that. your best fundraising uh-huh. Jeff Beard story. <laughs> yeah. Right? 
Okay, here we go. We, uh, we're going to talk about a few different questions that we got sent in. The first one is, um, this listener said that they know that Northview has elders and they see in the Bible the, the language of elders and deacons as having different roles. And so their question is, what are deacons? What do they do? And why doesn't Northview have any deacons? Well, the short answer is we do have deacons. We don't call them deacons, um, but we believe that all the people who are serving in our local church who are not serving in the office of elder are actually uh, the qualifications that we use for them to, to evaluate whether or not they should be serving. In that particular function, we use the deacon qualifications, which is you know different than other churches I know of. I know of some churches that have, uh, have said... Uh, we want to open the door for you know non-believers to serve in our church. So if there's nobody who can drum, we'll leave the drums free for like five weeks. I know of a guy who's told a story about it. he had he left the drum. You know they he bought a drum set. He was a church planter and he brought a dump brought, brought. Wait a minute. He bought a drum set and he put it on the on this in front of everybody and nobody played it for like three weeks until finally a guy in the congregation who was not a Christian came and said, I, I, you got, somebody's got to play the drums. And the, the pastor says, sweet, that's exactly why I put it there. I want you to play the drums. And they, he viewed uh, service in the church as a means of evangelism, as a means for, for mm. drawing people in. We don't do that, partially because we believe that everybody who's serving in a local church, that there's a standard that the scriptures call them to in terms of not just agreement theologically, but also like some lifestyle issues. And we want people who are serving in our local church to be able to go to like the basketball game later that day. And people who may have come to the church or maybe know of the church will look at that person and say, oh, that person is not just only attends Northview, but is serves there. So hmm. they should have some sort of character qualification. That's a long, listen, that's more than information that was not included in the question. But my, my short answer is we have elders. We also have deacons. The deacons, though, we don't call deacons in that particular frame. But if you're hmm. serving in the t- kitchen ministry at our church, we we put you through a bit of a, a gauntlet. Yep. Um, if you're serving in the children's ministry, if you're serving in it's wherever, and we've had people get upset with us. Hey, I'm just serving in the kitchen. Why are you asking so many questions? Or why are you asking the, the pastors of whether or not they know me and mm. have I have you know a verifiable you know, integrity to my you know that kind of stuff? And that's why we view you as a deacon, mm. right? So there, then, there are okay. some there are some denominations that that hold the office of deacon. So they have the office of elder and the office of deacon, and both of these are what they would call ordained positions. And so the Presbyterian Church in America, which was a, I, I was a part of that church, um, or one, one church in that denomination when I lived in Orlando, and there they, their restrictions uh, were that a deacon is only, like it must be a man, you couldn't be a woman and be a deacon, but, but then you get things like you have ladies that are, that are serving in Sunday school and ladies that are teaching um, uh, even adult Sunday school classes and things, and where it kind of the the whole thing didn't really mm. match. So we would say they'd all, they're all those are deacons, right? Yes, they're all serving in, in a in a deacon capacity. Yeah. We don't ordain a deacon. So right. then, one of the distinctions you would say, Jeff, is uh, an elder would be somebody who could teach um, and 
somebody who would be upholding the doctrine of the church. Yeah, actually, that's that's really the chief difference. If you look at the list of uh, you know qualifications for deacons in First Timothy three, which follows immediately after the qualifications for elders in First Timothy three. Mm-hmm. You'll find that the chief difference is lots of overlap, but the chief difference is the elders are apt to teach. That's the mm-hmm. phrase that's used, and that's described kind of more expansively in Titus one nine, yeah, which t- you have in front of you. Yeah, I was going to read that. He says uh, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict so it. So this is something that I want to make. A lot of people will say that if you're an elder of the church, you need to be gifted in teaching. I've heard that phrase before. That's not actually the case. You don't need to be gifted in teaching. You need to know what you're talking about. So Titus, Paul's saying, look, if you're going to be, an, if you're going to be an elder, you need to know your doctrine to such a degree that you can embrace what is sound and refute what is not. Yeah. So it's the ability... Uh, not to you know, command an audience, but the ability to understand the content of the gospel and the good deposit that's been passed down through the apostles to you know all the way through, to understand it well enough to be able to to uh, teach about it and to to refute those who go off off off, um, off script. This is one of the things I love about Northview, by the way, is. If you've ever come out to one of our elders meetings, which, by the way, are open, you can come to those. Uh, we do. Uh, uh, we you start Jeff by teaching theology, right? We talk through theology, and that's a major pro, uh, um, component of what an elder meeting looks like at Northview. Yeah, it's one something the people who come along they they often are a little bit surprised when I've spoken to them afterwards. They'll say, "Oh, I didn't know you guys spent as much time in prayer and teaching." And yet we do because we believe that you know that um, we believe Acts six was there was a distinction made in Acts six when uh, there was some discussion about uh, some some ladies in the church who weren't getting the, the there wasn't a fairness between the Hebrew widows and the Greek widows and the apostles were called in and saying you guys need to sort this out and they said. Look, we're not gonna we're not gonna give up the the ministry of the word and prayer in order to figure out who's serving tables. We live in a culture now that would recoil at that kind of response because mm-hmm. oh, good leaders are the ones who are going to serve the tables. We say, well, well, yes, they need to have the willingness to serve in that kind of capacity. But their attitude was, look, the work that we're doing, the ministry of the word and prayer, that's actually more important than whether or not you know, who eats when and how much they get. So they appointed some godly guys who they approved to do the table serving. And so I, I actually think that's the beginning, the genesis of the of the deacon and elder distinction. And so we as a we as a leadership have decided, look, if we're gonna commit ourselves to anything, it's gonna be ministry of the word and prayer and in the overall um shepherding of the flock and the business of the church and that sort of thing. Whereas other people can be involved on the ground doing some of the specific details about, you know, figuring out the computer systems. And we don't talk that much about that stuff. We delegate all that stuff out to to others. I think it's important too to mention that at our elders meeting, we do start in prayer. And if you are in need of prayer or you know somebody who would like to have the elders pray over them, pastors and elders, uh, ha- come on out. Uh, what what time? How would they find out information about you that? Just, 
you just email Ezra at uh, eokoti at northu.org, and uh, he will be able to put you on the schedule. We, once a month we gather together, so if you're sick or if you have any particular need and you want the elders to pray over you, just show up. We'd mm-hmm. love to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. Kind of. I feel All good right. about it. I think you guys got there. <laughs> Andy feels good, so that's good. <laughs> that's my barometer. It's How's my Andy feeling? It's my a- Andy meter and, and endometer. It's doing pretty good. All right, here's the next question. Uh, this question has to do with the ESV translation. So recently the ESV uh, editors... Which stands for what? The English Standard Version of the Bible... It's kind of a funny name, isn't it? To call it's yourself the, only the standard version. Yeah. It is the it's, it's English kind of standard. standard. Yeah, it is. It it's is a little like, bit. like, this is the English standard. So the entire English world must <laughs> use this. Wow, that's good. As their standard. So they made a decision that they're going to lock in their uh, translation work so that the version of the Bible, of the ESV that we have now, is going to be what is going to be in the shelf for the foreseeable future. Did I get the history basically right? The, the the announcement? Yeah, pretty much. That's essentially what they did. They, this is their first, I think it's their first, uh, they, the ESV came out in 2000. It was around 2000, I think. 2000. And I think mm-hmm. that this is their major revision. This is which often happens with the new translation of the scriptures comes out. They will revise it after 10, 15 years because language always changes, right? And that, that's and, a great point, by the way, right. that language changes. Because to me, I think I always find it interesting when people, are, you know, a lot of people aren't sure about translations or why we have so many translations. Should we have so many translations? You know, should you just stick with one translation? This was kind of where this question was. Coming yeah, the from question too. was basically: Is it a good thing that they locked in the translation or, or not? Should they have kept it open so that there could be so further committee, adjustments? Just to finish out the history, the committee who was responsible for the revision decided <clears throat> the end of their revision. That's it. We're not going to meet anymore. We're, what we've done is good enough. So for the length of the copyright on the ESV, uh, we will not be making any more revisions, which has angered some people. Um, but there's several ways you can look at it. Number one, uh, the language will change. And so at some point, there will probably be a need to have a more updated translation of the Bible so that it speaks to the people of, you know, 50 years from now or a hundred years or whatever. The King James version is a good example. Here's a, here's a version that used the, the, the language of its day to communicate things. And if you sit down and you read the KJV now, a lot of us are like, man, I am so lost with this. So language will change. And, and that I don't actually think that the, I don't think the translators of the ESV are saying this is the best translation that will ever be and will never need to be changed. I actually think, and maybe I'm just being charitable or just overly pragmatic, but I think what they're saying is we're tired and we're all old and we just want to, like, we're not going to be able to gather together again to spend this amount of time doing this. I mean, J.I. Packer was one of the guys on this committee and he's 90 years old. So, I mean, just, the committee was going to have to change anyway. And so their attitude is, look, we're just not going to do this again as this committee, and it's good enough. And Crossway, the the publisher, has basically said, we're not going to keep updating this Bible version. It's it's going to be good for the next, whatever, 20, 30, 40 years. And eventually somebody will come out with a different translation, and they'll call it the 
the real English standard version or whatever. <laughs> and it'll be great. And we can evaluate standard. and we can evaluate it on its merits or demerits at the time. The ESV is a good translation of the Bible. I don't know if it's any better or worse than the NIV. They both have their strengths. It or depends the upon the passage, doesn't it? The new living. They just have they have different approaches, to be yeah. honest with you. And um, it depends on who you read on whether they like it or better or not. But mm. I, the ESV is we we use it for the most ridiculously pragmatic reason that the pew Bibles were cheaper. Isn't that the greatest Mennonite reason you ever heard? <laughs> oh, for sure. Right? That we didn't choose it based on, we thought it was a very good Bible. I think we had decided that we wanted to use the NIV. Um, but when we went and tried to find out, hey, how much is it going to cost for us to buy a whole bunch of Bibles for the NIV, it was ridiculous. Sondervan charges so much for the NIV. And we were like, you know, the ESV is an excellent translation as well. And so we're just going to use that one. It's not because we are massively committed to the ESV, although I do think that there are several places where it's far a far better studying Bible than the NIV. The NIV makes some interpretive decisions that I don't I don't think they they should make and I don't think are as, are helpful. I can show you places in the NIV where that's the case. Maybe it'd be helpful too just to let people know how translation works yeah. quickly. You know, like you know uh, as an, an interpreter has to make a decision when they come to a passage. Am I going to translate this literally or am I going to give it a, you know an equivalent, you know, in, in the modern right. context well, any, or language? Any, any language, right? I mean, those are, does any any of you guys know another language? Andy, Scottish, yep. you know. I, I speak uh, Scottish. No, uh, Spanish. Okay, so if, if Andy were going to translate Spanish, uh, or he were going to translate what we're doing right now to a Spanish audience, uh, he would have a choice to make. Either he's going to take the words I'm saying and word for word translate them. Like here's a great across. here's a great phrase in Spanish. Often when you ask somebody how you're doing, you say "Ah, oh, más o menos." You know, and you have to make a decision on how you're going to translate that. That literally translate on plus or minus. Yeah. Or, you know, most of them would understand that. I'm doing okay. I'm so-so. Right. Mm. So, Andy, if we were going to translate that mas o menos, is that what it is? Yeah. If we were going to translate that into English, you would choose uh, plus or minus, or you would choose, hey, I'm pretty good. Yeah. So-so. One of those is a, a literal word-for-word translation plus or minus that keeps the keeps the idiom intact and the other one makes an interpretive decision regarding the idiom saying well this is what it means and that's called dynamic equivalence what what he, that that second part the new in, new international version has as its philosophy dynamic equivalence the english standard has as its philosophy literal straight across reading the new american standard is a literal Bible. You'll have more some who are right. more on that pendulum than others. The new like living, the NASB is more literal than yes. I'd say the ESV. The New Living is a um, the New Living translation is um, a dynamic equivalence translation of the Bible. That's even more dynamic. The and then there's yeah. there's far extremes on either end. So you could go to an interlinear Bible, which is just going to give you a straight word for word yeah. Greek to English, or you could go far on the other extreme and you could get the uh, the message. Yeah, I want to make a distinction between the message <clears throat> and a translation, though. So, like the Living Bible and the Message, those are paraphrases of translations. So they're another step removed. It's basically, mm-hmm. you know, Eugene Peterson who who did the Message version should not be called a translation. 
he sat down and he read English Bibles and probably a little bit of Greek, and he came up with kind of what he felt <laughs> while he was reading it. So it's it's very lively, and he's gifted with words, and so. But but the the accuracy of what he's saying at certain sp- spots is is dubious. It's very mm-hmm. questionable. I points. would never think of the message as scripture. No, you're not gonna. I don't think you're gonna. There's one called the voice as well that does this. So like, there, you're not gonna take these Bibles and and mm-hmm. sit down and study them. Like if you want to know what the actual text says, I wouldn't pick up the message. I, I would I would however recommend you know a New Living, an NIV. An ESV, a New American Standard. The Holman Christian Standard is a literal Bible that is, I actually think, a little bit more literal reading than the ESV, and it's an excellent work. The thing about literal readings is they, because they preserve the language of the original, oftentimes they're mo- more poetic, and I mean, they sound stilted at times for us, but like if you get into the Psalms and stuff, they sound a little bit more regal. Whereas if you do the more um, the more dynamic equivalents, uh, depends on who's translating and how they're doing it. Sometimes the beauty of the liter- literature is lost. If Johnny Mark were here, he'd disagree with me on that because he thinks the NIV is a prettier Bible to mm. read in the Psalms than ESV. I don't agree with him. I actually think the ESV is a little bit more, it, because it maintains some of the lit- literal language, right? It, but that's one yeah. of the other challenges, though, is that in Hebrew, for example, you have unique ways oh, yeah. of doing poetry such as a alphabetic acrostic right which we you can't you miss it you can't do it right because yeah. it works in hebrew just doesn't work in english right although there's others where you could do a um now i'm forgetting the name for that kind of poetry where it, the it starts with the same line that it ends with uh, an inclusio Chiastic or in, yeah inclusio is what you're describing yeah. but you can do chiasms and other things like that that mm-hmm. are those will come through in the yeah, translation yeah you can yeah look but Anybody who knows yeah. another language knows how difficult it is to translate from one to the other. And for the most part, we tend to use dynamic equivalents because it's yeah. easier. Because the, the goal is communication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say, um, when I was taking Hebrew at, at seminary, we went through our, we went through a couple of Psalms that our, um, our prof made us go through. And he, he had us translate it and with the, the rules of Hebrew poetry and all those kinds of things. And, and then he had us look at English versions, and he had us say, okay, which version do you guys think is the most accurate based on all the Hebrew poetry rules and things like that? And um, a lot of people, it was a, it was a very interesting thing, because the, the school I was at was a very um, conservative, reformed school. So, and a lot, everybody basically had the ESV as their main Bible. And so a lot of guys just went to great lengths to defend the ESV in, in every way possible. But if you just followed the Hebrew poetry rules, uh, the NIV trumped it in that particular psalm, in that particular instance. So it was, it was funny to go back to the class afterwards because the prof was like, you ESV lovers, what's going on here? Because yeah. <laughs> you're, you totally disregarded everything I taught you last week. In order to defend the ESV, right. <laughs> it was it was There's pretty funny. A, I, mean, I think this is one of the challenges. One of the reasons that the critiques have come about the ESV translation committee is that the ESV has made some decisions in several texts that uh, defend a what's called a complementarian reading of those passages. And so, in the debate, de- de- in the debate, the very lively debate about gender roles, mm. 
they have chosen for legitimate readings of those texts or legitimate translations of those texts that lean strongly toward a complementarian, meaning uh, meaning male headship kind of approach to, to things. Now, I hold that view. Some of the places where they've done the translations, I think they're right. Other places, I think that they're trying to make a point, <laughs> mm. right? And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that they they don't need don't need to do that but there is there is a minor agenda and that's why some people have gotten frustrated about it because people who are egalitarians are like oh my goodness you guys are ruining it because you're 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 leading people now to believe that this text the only way to understand this text is in a complementarian way and they're fighting back a bit about it which is funny because that's essentially the flip of what happened when the NIV got right. done in 2011 yeah they went the opposite way and tried to translate all sorts of stuff into egalitarian language, and the complementarians got good and mad. So, this is what's challenging, right? There's some, there are some theological uh, presuppositions and agendas that sit behind the 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 translation of of the thing, which is, you know, we all see things through our lenses, and we sometimes translate, which is why you should learn Greek and Hebrew, right? Mm. Yep. Because you wouldn't have to rely completely on on the translations themselves, you could actually do some of the translation, yeah, yourself, right. because you're smarter than the committee of seasoned yeah. veterans. And, if, and by the way, <laughs> stupid J.I. Packer, <laughs> Lagos is out there. A Logos, stupid. Pardon, you pronounce you know, that? I, there's an in, there's an interesting story. An interesting story. Let about, me cut you off there. No Andy. problem. Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just repeating what the Americans usually do to me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so. Um, J.I. Packer, there's this, there's a story from, uh, again, at our seminary, one of my profs, um, when, when the, he talked to J.I. Packer at one point when the ESV committee was actually at our seminary back when they were originally doing it in 2000 or, or 99 or whatever it was. And he got to have a lunch with J.I. Packer and he just had some questions for him in terms of preaching. And he said, he said, okay, Mr. Packer, what? What do you do if you're going to preach a sermon? Like, what's your, what's your process of going through the scriptures? And he goes, well, first I read it in English. And then I read my, uh, Matthew Henry. The old commentary. Who is an old, commenta- uh, old commentator from like the, what, 1800s, 1700s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, he, and then the prof was like, well, you mean you don't, you don't figure it out all for yourself in Greek first? And he's like, He's like, well, it'd be kind of arrogant for me to think that I'm better than Matthew Henry, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And so, and and he said, so then if he sees something, well, yeah, he'll go check the Greek and all that. But, but there are a lot of people that have gone before us that have done a lot of the legwork and a lot of the, a lot of the uh, interpretation Mm -hmm. and they're very uh, wise, brilliant, um, gracious men who, who did this. So it's a good thing to listen. Uh, so, uh, just to finish that other idea that I got cut off from, that's kidding. Uh, Lagos has some great software on there. So that, Lagos is a Bible program. Yeah, actually located computer. here in Bellingham. Yeah, uh, that you. So can, are we in Bellingham? Well, I kind of here-ish. I I pointed like if you look at that the, way. If you look at like the globe, it's sort of here-ish. I'm sorry, yeah. but when your thumb pointed, I know, I just and then if you look at like the solar system, we're also like <laughs> kind of every. <laughs> well, I mean here, yeah. <laughs> sorry, keep going. Little inside joke there. My thumbs are uh, the size of a big toe. So, any rate, <laughs> that way, uh, they, they got great resources they do. Uh, to help you uh, 
you, know, they, you only need to, to learn a few few things with it, and you can away you go. And then you can be horribly dangerous. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> actually, if you're interested in in the whole language and translation, that kind of stuff, uh, Logos actually has some really interesting mobile ed courses you can take on how to use Greek and Hebrew with their software so yeah. you can actually get a good understanding of how do I actually access and use these resources in the most responsible way I can. I don't actually know how much they cost, but if that's something you're interested <laughs> from, in. From Logos? They're yeah, about a hundred bucks and up. They cost you, they cost you a, fair, a fair bit. Yeah. That would be my chief criticism of, of Logos is that it's very expensive. I actually talked to them about that. About being expensive? Yeah, I did. Because I'm like, those courses are ridiculous. Yeah. You got to, like some of them are like $800. Have you talked to Rogers yet? About being expensive? I did, actually. Because okay. that they, went nowhere. They're expensive, too. <laughs> and ICBC? No? No, didn't, didn't do that one. Thanks for that, though. Okay, there's awkward pause there. Did no, I, I thought Did I step over the line, Greg? No. Did no, I make you just was, took a rabbit trail? We I was letting I was letting the conversation. The comment about ICBC progress. that was the line. Yeah, I'm, right there. I'm really personally loves, invested in the pricing points of ICBC. ICBC. It's ever since Andy said we were desk. in Bellingham. Now I'm just like, oof. You got, did say we you were got in Bellingham. Off, you're, you said like right here in Bellingham. I mean, it's right basically here. the fifty. We're at the fifty-first day. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> all right, hey. We uh, there are some other questions we could ask, but they're all pretty big and loaded, and so I don't want to take up too much time. But is there any uh, anything coming up that people that are listening should be aware of? Kind of life of North Sea, Andy. You got oh, like a book or something coming up? No, we absolutely or? do have something coming up um, on next week, Tuesday night. We have an important meeting. Yes, the congregational meeting that's going to be happening. Uh, the congregational meeting is going to be happening for uh, they call, we call it the extraordinary congregational meeting about uh, I love the, that name by the way I know the possibility of um, doing a church replant in Port Coquitlam so we're going to talk about that next Tuesday night 7 o'clock there will be cookies mm. and lively discussion so and if, a video ooh a video well, I was out at Port Coquitlam I wasn't going to come but now I'm sold this last week and I was with a guy who has one of these drones do you know what I mean? Yeah, Ooh. did they drone? They do these drones and they fly them up at a very short, it wasn't very high, so I don't think we, they broke, he broke any kind of laws, but he lifted up the drone to a level that you could see there and you could also see into, we flew it right next to the window of the house next door and just let it hover there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I wanted to do that though. But speaking of that, there is a house on the property. Yes, there is, but there are houses that overlook the property too, and I just thought that would be really cool to... Welcome the new neighbors. <laughs> Throw a little here's our drone, a little end logo on the drone. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's going on in there? So yeah, there there'll be a video, and I'm the star of the video. So wow. I mean, you'll want to be there for that. Nice. So we get to come to Northview and see you on a screen. Totally. That is. That's, that's what it's about. That's what. <laughs> hey, <laughs> so really say great. say people were coming and they or they're interested in this whole thing and they have like a lot of questions, what would you suggest the best way for like the real big question person? How should they come to this meeting? Is there, yes. Is there going to be time for yes. questions? What What's the format that they can kind of expect? Yes, there will be all sorts of the, there'll be some stuff that pre, some presentation stuff, but also uh, time for open questions and stuff. There'll be also a bunch of elders around who will be able to answer as many questions or hear as many concerns or whatever about those things. A lot of the questions or concerns that people have, uh, there are responses to them. I'm not saying that they're 
are responses that will satisfy a mm-hmm. critique, but there, there are responses and some things that, yeah, this has taken a while to think through and there still are, I'm sure other, other questions that need to be answered, but, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's been a good, good process so far. And this is kind of the finishing, not finish line, but like as far as the discernment goes, it's sort of the end, end line of, of that. And so we're, we, we want to hear from the congregation and make sure that we haven't, we have all our ducks in a row and all that kind of stuff. Is there going to be like a like a affirmation ballot? I think so. I think so at the meeting. Uh huh. There's. It's not like this is the only chance that you've had to read about this though and ask questions. The packet of information's been out for I think a couple weeks now. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So if you if you if you have a packet of, a packet of information and you want to ask questions, I think it's even online on a PDF file. Mm-hmm. So if you have questions ahead of time, you can write emails to me, Steve, me or Steve Weens or others who are here and be happy to interact with you. That's one Good. thing that's happening. We're yep. also starting our Thursday morning theology stuff this week. Mm. Yep. Early morning six. Uh, if like, so I don't, I don't know the exact numbers and I'm looking over at Greg cause he might know. I think it's a relatively full group. Yeah. W- yeah. We are in the 70 range. Wow. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow, that's so fantastic. we've kind of said, uh, this is our group for the year. <laughs> okay. And we're going to, Where? if you're interested in it though, you can, Always send me an email, say you're interested in coming, and we'll put you on the list for next year. Yeah, but it's 6 a.m. The 6 a.m. has a power to uh, to yeah. weed out the week. Let's just <laughs> say, let's just say we will. We're in West Court to start, but yeah. we will not, in very much time, be moving back into the atrium. Yeah, because yeah, some people show up at 6 a.m. and they're like, no, right. no by November, no, no, 20 no. people will have no. Yeah, off. six a.m. in September still has kind of a nice like, yeah, like this is a new vibe year. about I'm gonna, it. I'm going right. to do something good this year. Yeah, then then it's, it's dark like the out new year's in November. Resolutions, and then right? yeah. okay, no when you go to bed hits. dark, wake up dark. You're like no more, no. no. You're done. Yeah. So there, there, there's that is going on. Our TLC classes are starting pretty quick here in the next, next Wednesday. Weeks, yeah. Next Wednesday, we started the new Roman series this week. We did. We started the series in you, Romans. You guys both yeah. preached that. How was it did. starting that series? How are you? Are you guys excited about it? Or very? Yeah. I love the Book of Romans. The problem I have with uh, studying the Book of Romans is that there are so many phrases that Paul uses that have theological import that it's difficult to pass them by. Hmm. Was there one uh, point from this last, uh, so these first seven verses that we worked on this week, was there one thing that you were like, man, I just wish I really could have gone into that one? He was declared to be son of God Hmm. in power by the spirit of holiness through the resurrection of the dead. Mm. That phrase. Mm. I would have enjoyed that. And then I could have preached an entire sermon on what he says to the church at Rome, the way he, he talks about them. He said that he said, when he said, just greets them, he said, to the church at Rome, loved by God, he tells us three things, loved by God, called to be saints, mm. that sort of stuff. And they're in yeah. Rome. I, I could have talked about all three of those Right, the idea that yeah. they're in Rome is uh, shows uh, honestly the the fact that wherever Paul went, he planted a local church. That wherever the apostles went, their goal was to plant local churches in mm-hmm. local places. And so there's a centrality of the local church. The fact that they're loved by God is language that is mm. just quite remarkable and beautiful. Mm. That it's you know, God. God does love. He does love us, mm. and that they were called. To be mm-hmm. saints, which is a word that in Romans has a heavy dose of sovereignty to it, mm-hmm. 
the more you go through the book of Romans. And so, yeah, I could have done those three words, but I didn't. <laughs> so like, that's what's difficult. I mean, Paul, yeah. you felt that too, I think, in preaching this weekend. You just, yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, if I had to pick one phrase that I would have, that I would really like to focus in on is, um, is the, um, who, who, concerning his son who was descended from David. And that point, I think a lot of times when we are dealing with the, or when we're sharing the gospel with people, when we're talking about God's plan of history, his, his plan of salvation, we kind of leave out the, the importance of uh, how he worked through Israel and through David and, and kind of that whole thing. The humanity of Jesus. And his kingly line, the yeah. fact that he is yeah. Israel's rightful king. Right. Yeah. yeah, and how that, and what does that look like for us? What does that mean for us? But we usually go, yeah, God created everything, humanity sinned, and then Jesus came. Yeah. And it's like, right. there was, there's like two-thirds of the Bible between the sin and when Jesus came. Right. <laughs> so what happens mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah. So You just don't, have, yeah. yeah, don't have but time. But there's just not enough time. But we could do uh, Romans 1 over a year, like mm-hmm. the whole the whole of Romans oh, 1, yeah. and then we could basically over the next 15 years just do one chapter of Romans mm-hmm. each year. That was an option. Well, MacArthur did it. I thought, oh dear, we're going to die if we do it that, <laughs> that slowly. Yeah, that's what MacArthur does. So do you he think- doesn't want to leave behind anything. I think it's wonderful. It was There's no problem in all that. The problem that I foresee if you do a study that yeah. way is you lose the forest for the trees. And that uh, yeah. you can get so focused mm-hmm. on phrases that you don't actually understand that the, what the Apostle Paul's trying to say in a kind of more overall sense. Yeah, right. That's a good point because he did write this as a letter yeah. to to the church in Rome. It wasn't <laughs> he wasn't like, like take the next eighteen it, years it, and totally this, like, read this. <laughs> Here's this word phrase. by word <laughs> at at each Sunday. Oh, right? stop Just there! Stop word. there! Yeah. There's that phrase. Okay, let's all think about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> can you imagine being? If I read the letter to you. Hey. Before we sign off, we're going to sign off soon. Don't worry, Bishmu. We, we, we'll wrap this up. Uh, Andy, you have a Band-Aid on your hand. Yeah. yeah. In the middle of your hand. I do. Do you know why you have Band-Aids, Greg? To get better, to stop the bleeding? it's stuck on you? Yeah, because you... You're stuck on Band-Aids because Band-Aids are stuck on you. Sorry, man. What'd you, how'd, you, <laughs> how'd you cut your hand, Andy? I didn't cut my hand. I, I hurt my hand. Okay. And so I had to put a Band-Aid on it. Okay. All right. The, well, the, I wish there was more to it. That was more exciting. We'll Truth, actually, I saved some somebody. No. Yeah. What? You I saved climb somebody. Up, climb up a tree to save something. You're a cat. A frisbee? <laughs> it was a cat. Yeah. Okay. You saved a cat? No. I made that up. Good. Who Kate, would save a cat? Now, this is Ooh, getting, sorry. This no, is getting really point. interesting. No, now I want to know gun. what happened to his hand for no, real. Well, come back <laughs> next time, and uh, you will be able to find out what happened to Andy's hand. <laughs> We're going to start calling you Handy. I'm not coming back anymore. I'm done. Handy, I Andy. quit. All right. Thanks for listening. See you at church on the weekend.